Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the Association of Common Sense Masculinity is proud to present the exciting, the thought-provoking Can-Am Soup, an entertaining, genuine, and often meandering conversation between two friends. And now, the stars of our show, Jeremy Gertz and Todd Fuss. Hey, Todd, how are you doing, buddy? Good, Jeremy. How about yourself? Oh, good. Just peachy. Super good. What you been up to? Uh, a little bit of tractor work, lawn maintenance, blah, blah, oh. blah. Oh, yeah. On the old Kubota? Yeah, and the, yeah, with both of them. What, what, what how many tractors you got? Uh, one's a lawn tractor and one's a tractor. Oh, okay, right on. Yeah, those little Kubota tractors, those little small tractors, those are sweet, aren't they? Yeah, sort of, no, maybe. <laughs> Depends on what you need them for. Yeah. The little bit older ones are better, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, that was before the, and it's not just Kubota. People can say whatever they want. It's not an orange, red, green, or yellow brand thing. It's all of them. Mm-hmm. When they started, you know, um, what's that word? Lying about their uh, specifications mm. and abilities. Yeah. You know, uh, hydraulic numbers. Oh, okay. And almost, I don't know of a subcompact, compact, or mid-sized tractor manufacturer that doesn't um, kind of stretch the limits of their marketing. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, yeah. But anyway, now, uh, for it's like with everything else, I guess. Everything a brand makes isn't going to be good. Yeah. And that's just the way it is. Um, Kubota's, you know, compact tractors are just incredibly easy to work on. Hmm. Uh, as far as being able to get to everything, um, you still get parts for mostly everything. You know, and they don't try to bamboozle the customer about where they're made. Mm. You know, like a certain green brand. Yeah. With their subcompact and compact tractors. So do you know what? Do you know oh, what? Wait, they're made there in Tennessee. No, they're assembled here in Tennessee. But guess what? My orange tractor was assembled here in Tennessee. Huh. You know, we got two big Kubota factories here um, where we assemble things with foreign made parts. Well, guess who else does that? Just saying. Yeah. And you... John Deere rebrands a bunch of their product line now that aren't the huge industrial, um, agricultural stuff. Yeah. They just rebrand. Yeah. Uh, they were rebranding Hitachi uh, uh, excavators for years. Hmm. Do you know what happened with the... Uh, so, have you ever heard of, like, illegal compact tractors? Yeah, the gray market. Yeah, gray market, yeah. So, mine is a gray market. Like, mine's a Hinimoto E23. And, uh, like, every every marking on that thing is Japanese. Like, it was brought over from Japan. 
And it was something, it was some type of a legislation or some type of a law to protect some of these North American companies. I know you can get like gray market Kubotas, right? A lot of people really desire those ones, but it, it's it's weird. Do you know when all that went down? Was that like 80s or 90s or something like that? Or any I don't, details I don't on it? I don't know all the history behind gray market. In fact, a lot of the stuff I heard about, oh, gray market, they're... It's illegal to own. No, it isn't. There, it, the tractor itself, you know, the piece of equipment, as, here's how I understand it. Um, the piece of equipment isn't specced to be sold in the North American market. Mm-hmm. So a dealer can't sell it new here. Mm-hmm. I, a consumer, can go find it, like in Kazakhstan and... Buy it and import can, it into the U.S. See, I thought the importing use. was illegal. I thought you couldn't do that anymore. I'm not sure, though. Well, they're still doing it, so. Are they, though? Like, they are getting so oh, hard God, to yeah. find. Um, I don't want to say what company it was, just in case. <laughs> but one of the two big national people that do... Used equipment auctions here in North America. Mm-hmm. Um, just had a big. Uh, they couldn't call it gray market auction, but that's what it was. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. And none <laughs> of it was like, you know, I had a gray market from nineteen eighty, and I, you know, no, it was all fresh off the boat gray market. Really? Huh. Yeah. See, like I. So I got- if it's illegal to import right now today, well, just saying. Yeah. They're handy, man. Cause like, so mine's like a twelve hundred and three cc little two cylinder diesel, and like, look, you say with your Kubota, this thing is so easy to work on. Not that I've ever had to do much to it, but man, it's like there's no turbo on this one. But I'm like, it's what does it have? Four times three, so it's a twelve speeds. Like I've got low, medium, high gear range, four speeds in each plus reverse, and like if I go in first gear, man, like that thing will just. If it's got anything too heavy, it just will flip itself over backwards. Like there's so much low end torque, more than it should have, because it doesn't have the weight to actually do the work that it could do, you know. But then you go all the way up into the highest gear, and I don't know what the speed is, but it's you could move from field to field, right? Like I go up and down the gravel road sometimes just for fun, or if I've got a mud, bunch of mud built up, then I go out on the road and then wind it up, and it, it moves pretty good. I'm like, this is the coolest tractor. Like they don't like everything now is like. I don't know, something that size. And mine's kind of an oddball, but I don't think you could, you'd have a hard time finding something like that that had a clutch and a standard transmission, right? Like everything now is like hydrostatic drive and all this, something goes wrong with it, good luck fixing it type of a deal, you know? Yeah, most of the stuff in the sub, or I'm sorry, compact and above, you can, you know, they might, what, uh, What's on the dealer's lot might all be hydrostat, but you can still order okay, yeah. um, manual. But the for years and years and years, they said, oh, they're the same as far as uh, horsepower. A- and they weren't. Um, they were just lying. Mm. <clears throat> and then they were, they got kind of equal. And now on some of the larger... Uh, horsepower rated uh, compact tractors. The hydrostat is outdoing the uh, 
mm. manual. And it's just because you know, they quit developing the technology for manual transmissions, you know, clutch driven. Yeah. And all the technology and research and development went over to hydrostat. Yeah. And hydrostats have been around forever and ever and ever. You know, huge cat dozers have been uh, hydrostat forever. It's just, what kind of hydrostat? Who built yeah. it? Why was it built? Who designed, you know? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> like the hydrostat on my first lawnmower I ever had sucked. Yeah. Sucked. But, you know, the hydrostat on the tractor is not so bad. And the good thing about having a hydrostat for me, I can teach my wife how to drive it. Yeah, I know that's what my wife wishes she could drive this Kubota because then because we got a it came with like a a, a purpose built rototiller that's PTO driven. Yeah, and uh, the tractor was designed for that. It's the exact same paint color and uh, it's actually really ingenious the way it all works. But she's like, man, I wish I could drive, and she could if she wanted to. But um, I mean, driving a standard tractor isn't comfortable i mean the clutch is pretty stiff you know it's a lot of so i don't know she's like man i wish we just had a little john deere like my parents have a little john deere riding mower that has um oh it's, somehow they make a pto a hydraulic i don't know whatever but it's got a little rototiller on the back and it's nice right just a little diesel but um yeah no they're they're kind of cool you know we got this i got this tractor people had for free and uh, we know the people, and they're just kind of cleaning up their parents' farmyard, and they, nobody could get it running. They said, nah, the engine's gone on it. And so I was like, ah, we'll take it. And they were, like, literally five minutes from our house. And I forget what it was, but we had it running in, like, ten minutes. And uh, it was a good garden tractor, like, lawnmower, riding tractor, garden tractor thingy. And then the transmission started to go. And have you ever tried fixing a hydrostatic transmission? I'm nervous to open that sucker up. I think it's well. I ha I've helped with one. You know, I wasn't the the lead technician on that. I didn't mm -hmm. own it. I was just helping the guy. And you know, we had the book, we had the parts, and just followed it. And yeah, hmm. you know, he went to the dealership. His brother in law owned it, so he was able to get some of the specialized tools that we needed. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you'd be hosed. Yeah, uh, to, to tell you the truth, and it was a little bit older. Uh, hydrostatic uh, setup. I, I think if I had to work on mine, it wouldn't be so bad. Hmm. Having you know, as long as you got the book and you can follow the pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's written in crayon. Todd's okay. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, you know, because yeah. I, it, if you've done maintenance like that before, it, it, yeah, it, it can be heavy. It can be complicated. As long as you can follow the book or like nowadays, uh, they don't, I don't think they put as much care into those maintenance manuals as they used to. No, 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 they don't. Like the guy who wrote it didn't go out and try to follow what he wrote. No. <laughs> and, uh, I, cause one of them, uh, the book we were following on that guy's one of the pictures. Yep. Okay. This was, the manual, the maintenance manual, the rebuild manual for a hydrostatic transmission on a John Deere tractor, right? It had a photograph in one of the blow-ups of a manual transmission. Mm. Like, that's not even the same thing. Yeah. 
Oh my God, really? It's funny. <clears throat> and he told his brother-in-law about it. He's like, "Yeah, you haven't seen the half of it." Mm. He said some of the software they've got. <clears throat> they like write software for one piece of equipment, maintenance software mm. for their scan tools. And then they try to bastardize it for other things as well because John Deere's cheap like that. Mm-hmm. And it, it just gets ugly. Mm. Um, that and He was just really quick. He was telling a story to his brother-in-law uh, and I was just standing there and he's like, oh yeah, man, let me tell you, a, this guy bought a brand new $2 million tractor from us. And as soon as you get it from the factory, right, you got to do some programming dependent upon what attachments he gets, mm. you know, because it, the tractor is the tractor. All of your tillage, planting, seeding, and all that depends on what part of the country you are, yeah, what yeah. kind of plants you're trying to grow, whatever, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And he, he was just doing normal sweet corn and here in the southeast, and so they were doing some programming on a, uh, the name of the thing escapes me, but um, just a big comb out in front of a corn tractor. And Are you talking like a combine? No. Yeah. Okay, and, so it's a uh, combine? Yeah. And so they got this thing. They're programming the attachments for it. And as soon as they plug in the text computer it fries the computer in the combine a john deere um factory laptop fries the computer in a two million dollar combine just because he plugged it in and he was following all the rules and john deere had to replace it and all right so you got a two million dollar combine right how much you think the it cost John Deere that dealer to replace the computer in it? I have no idea. One hundred thirty thousand dollars. Really? Yeah. Wow. Because the big John Deere in the sky would not admit it was all their fault, and it was. Hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, but I the more I learned about John Deere, the more anti-John Deere I became. Yeah. And I, I used to be a green guy. I, yeah. I really was. Um, yeah, not so much. And now, you know, I learned some about, you know, Kubota and Coyote and some other brands, and you're like, ugh, they all suck. Mm. And I think the some one of the worst of the bunch was is a red Japanese brand. Um, Yanmar? Yeah, I'm not saying I yeah. say say names, yes. say names. Uh, yeah, Yanmar. And yeah. uh you get a Yanmar piece like guts in yeah. a and another like a John Deere small piece of equipment has a Yanmar engine. Oh, that right. engine will run forever. Hmm. Right? Especially if it's pre electronics. <clears throat> but a if you get a Yanmar tractor and you have to deal with Yanmar, good luck to you. Hmm. They act like you don't own what you just bought. Hmm. And you, and it, okay, it breaks. Why do you break tractor? Uh, <laughs> I started it up and the wheel fell off. I, I didn't do anything. 
No, 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 you broke track. Yeah, and and it's that kind of thing. Huh. And like, really? No way. I never heard of him until I saw Wrangler Star get like use of one. He didn't get it, but he got it for like two years or something, right? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, okay, so real quick. Wheel fell off. When you said that, I thought I thought the C V axle in my car went again. Because on deceleration, it was making a... So I buy a CV axle, go jack up the front of the car. When I had switched the wheels to my summer wheels, I didn't, like, double-check the torque of them. Two of the lug nuts were finger loose. And the other oh. two weren't. And I was driving for two weeks like that on mags. Hey. Holy no. crap. <laughs> and on a gravel road. Yeah. But it's funny because I'd be slowing down and I'm like, I'm like, ah, oh, crap, CV axle again. And I'm like, well, at least it's an easy job. Like, and I thought, I, like last time I did both of them, even though it was just one that was bad. But I thought, you know what? It was literally about a year to the day that I had replaced it. And I knew it because I went and checked my YouTube history and I had a video about it. And I'm like, okay, so I know when I fixed this last. And uh, I was like, I'm only going to do the driver's side. But can you believe that? I feel so stupid. I was absolutely embarrassed. I'm like, oh. of all the simple things a person can do, and even if you don't choose to work on your car, you may be called upon to do so. You may have to change a tire on the side of the road. Um, I remember torquing the wheels, but then what I always usually do, and I never did it this time, is I usually just go for a 10-minute drive. You know, just cruise around. We got this little tiny hamlet near us. And uh, so kind of weaving around there, come back and retorque them. Because especially with Meg, sometimes they can kind of hang up. You know, when you go to tighten them, they kind of smear and you'll hit your uh, your torques back, but you won't actually be tight. And so that's what happened. Man, that was terrible. All the other wheels were, were totally fine. Like I went back and checked everything. So then, of course, I had to check every one of our vehicles. I'm like, I'm retorquing every, every wheel, but. Wouldn't that been terrible? <laughs> Driving just yeah, smash out some spokes, your wheel falls off. Holy ching a ling! And anyways, you know what? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna be that angry old guy. Get off my lawn! Yeah, I. Where did this thing come from? When did it start? About having to torque lug nuts <laughs> on passenger cars. Yeah, I don't know. Because growing up, when you, all you had was steel wheels, you never had to do that. You just tightened the, you know. I've known any. I've never known anything but having a torque spec for wheels. Well, I, mean, I understand people. The answer is when aluminum wheels and alloy wheels came out, you have to torque them. I get it. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up with steel wheels. Yeah. And you didn't have to do that. But yeah. You know. Crazy. And if you have <clears> to torque them, why don't they put a torque wrench in the boot of your car? Yeah. With the lug nuts on yeah. the lug wrench. Just saying. Yeah. And even or the why don't they have. engineer an emergency yeah, that just has lug a break wrench free. that will tighten and tighten and tighten until you get to 75 foot pounds and start slipping. Yeah. Yeah. Just saying. Why don't they do that? Yeah. Because it's even so important that... to torque these things. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Just tighten them up and then take it to a tight. No. Give me a torque wrench. Yeah. If it's so important to you, Ford, for me to torque my stuff, give me a torque wrench. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, even those, uh, like even the torque wrenches that you buy, 
like you go by a craftsman or whatever, like the whether it's the adjustable clicky kind or the one with the bar, the torsion bar, those are so far out sometimes. Um, like we had to, when we were working at Sanjo, we had to be very precise with torques on a lot of this high pressure. Like there's 10,000 PSI in this pipe. And so we were taking chances. So we always had to go calibrate our wrenches, our torque wrenches. And I had, I, I invested in nice digital snap-ons. Um, but yeah, we would take like the one that I had before. It's the one I use now, little Craftsman. And it was like, it was like 10 pounds out, you know, and man, those things are so, it's hard to say, but. And then even then when you get your, when you buy the snap-on, they'll calibrate them for free for you, for life, if it's a digital one. But I finally, the only thing I used them for here was like doing vehicles. And I thought, man, this is a, <laughs> it's like a $600 torque wrench. So I sold it a couple of years ago because I used it like twice a year. But yeah, yeah we would have to do get it snug. Uh, our torque wrenches. When I worked on the airplanes, <clears throat> calibrated every year. Mm-hmm. But every region used to have its own, uh, in the Air Force, we call it a PML, P-M-E-L, Precision Measurement Equipment Laboratory. Mm. And they were, that's all they did all day is uh, calibrate and repair precision instrument and tools. That'd be kind of a boring job, wouldn't it? But you know what? Not so bad. Yeah, I mean, yeah, clean work and not you're not like doing heavy stuff necessarily, but it'd be like being an accountant or something. It's like just super precise, super focused all day long, man. I don't know if I could do that. Sometimes I like to swing a hammer and break stuff. <clears throat> oh, yeah, yeah. And I've, I used to go to the pub with a couple of the guys that worked at female when I was over in England. Mm-hmm. You know... One of the guys worked on some hospital instrumentation. Yeah. Uh, it was he, about the size of a dishwasher in the in your house. He'd take it apart, put it back together, you know, so mechanic-type stuff. Um, <clears throat> the other guy worked on, you know, torque wrenches, uh, micrometers, stuff like that. Mm. And he goes, you know, it's kind of interesting, but, but because he worked on torque wrenches, and micrometers and that kind of deal. When he got out of the military, he worked, started working for a Starrett. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hmm. So, you know, it worked out for him. Yeah, no kidding. But, and he said it's so strange because Starrett kind of does a lot of their training for the military. Yeah. So, you know, hmm. every time you go to a conference, you know, you just... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy DeRista is sponsored by Starrett now. Uh, that that makes me jealous. That makes me want to vomit in my mouth. I know he doesn't seem like a stare guy. He seems like the last guy to be precise about anything. Don't get well, me wrong. If it he, looks straight, it, it is, straight. is straight. Yeah, and I, I agree with that a hundred percent. Your eyeballs don't lie, but uh, yeah, you don't ever see him doing precision measurements. But oh, absolutely not. I mean, when's the last time I saw him do something <laughs> with stare? Uh, nothing but catch a check, apparently. <laughs> I know it's like he'll like estimate the length of a two by four and or something and cut it and if he needs forty of them, you, you know he'll he'll just kind of set it but put the end to the end or put a block down and oh that's good enough you know it's it's funny don't get me wrong I mean he he can make some cool stuff and he's got phenomenal talent but I don't think of him as a um, I think of him as a maker and not a tradesperson 
or a craftsman. Like, yeah, he can. I know. I don't even want to say a hack, but yeah, you know. I mean, and that's his style, right? Like, like he doesn't necessarily do things properly. Doesn't you know? I don't know if he's been shown the techniques, or maybe he has and he doesn't care. Um, I don't want to take anything away from him because he's unique and he's a one of a kind. But I like to see kind of the stuff that he does. And I'm like, okay, cool, but. I would never let my kids watch them and be like, this is how you do something properly. Because <laughs> you're not going to necessarily see it from him, you know. But like I said, that, it, that that's kind of what makes him unique. And if we all did everything the exact same way, man, YouTube would be boring, you know. Yeah, you know, I hate people that call themselves makers. But their overall philosophy is something... Less than good enough is good enough. Mm. You, know? Uh, you know, is it? If you're just making it for you, that's fine. But then it, you get somebody like that. We'll say um, Jimbo's Garage, who has that Jimmy DeResta style of, eh, eh, looks good. And then he wants to sell you something he makes. Um, no. Yeah. No. Why would I clearly buy something you made when your philosophy is eh. good, good enough is good enough. Eh. Yeah. I think that's the difference between a maker. Like makers, to me, it's a neat old term. It's kind of cool, but I think there's a huge differentiation between a craftsman and a maker. And I've yeah. always strived to be a craftsman, like somebody who's good at their craft, who's, and, and I'm not that with a, but like as a millwright, I mean, I really studied it. And I really cared. And when, when I, some things I don't approach it as a craftsman. It's like, no, I'm just going to do this. Right. But some things I'm like, no, I need to do this properly. We need to really focus on the details and get it. To me, a maker is, uh, you know, Hey, look at, let's. There's so many of the YouTube people, they're makers. And yeah, I, I see that. That's what I'd say too. You know, all you know how to do is pocket screws and, you know, you do some crappy other projects. That's fine. I don't have a lot of respect for makers because it's not hard to be a maker. You just have to be a little bit creative and try stuff. To be a craftsman, that's a totally different thing. It, it means that you're studying, you're working hard on the details. You're constantly improving your skills and the techniques so that... You know, at the end of it, man, we've got very beautifully crafted thing, not something that's made. Oh, yeah, I just made this. I made a chair. I'm a maker. Oh, good. Yeah, I don't know. And I know makers are celebrated, and I think it's good. Like, it, like don't I don't want to take anything wrong because it's good for people to say, hey, why don't we just try and build this ourselves and, and use your hands and your digits instead of just sitting in front of a, a video game or something stupid, right? So I think this whole maker movement is good. But it doesn't, it has my respect just for the fact that it's getting people to be less useless. But the whole maker thing, I'm not like, oh, this is so awesome. No, I still love, I prefer to hang around those old guys that have been doing trades that are in their 60s and that have forgotten more than I've learned so far. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've maker, worked with a maker is one of those labels or terms of art that no one can agree on how deep it goes or. You know, what constitutes a maker? You know, Clickspring calls himself a maker, so. I don't, I'm not familiar with that. Holy moly. Is it all he digifab? Can make a, he, he can make a clock 
from scratch. He has, yep. including all the little tiny gears, uh, precision machines, old or? Swiss maker, you know, stuff. Okay. So, you know, they, he's a craftsperson then craftsman, you know, and he calls himself a maker. So Yeah, I know. But before we move too far away from Jimmy, mm-hmm. I don't want to poop on him either, but poop away. <laughs> I am going to just point out that there are two makers <laughs> that I, two of the people I subscribe to on YouTube <laughs> that every time they find themselves making a video and half ass something they call <laughs> they justify it by um invoking the name of Jimmy Deresta. It is <laughs> so funny. Who's this? You got to speak. Oh, more. it was a bomb 79 and, uh, uh, <clears throat> Jimbo's garage, huh. you know, Jimbo will, um, <clears throat> uh, mess up a cut or something and be like, well, you know, like Jimmy says, if it's straight, it's straight. <laughs> or, you know, like Jimmy says, you know, good enough, good enough. Does Jimmy actually say that? I've never yeah, heard him say that. He has, right. but oh, okay. allegedly I, I'm, I'm just repeating what these people said. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny how they have clearly either half-assed something on purpose or by mistake, and then invoke the name of Jimmy Duresta to um, make it all okay. No, stop it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, these are customer jobs. These aren't things you're making for you for a video. You're, you're calling it a customer job, and even worse, for a YouTube subscriber. Yeah. And why would a YouTube subscriber, having watched you for years, send you anything to fix? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I, things confuse me sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, uh, I, I like Adam, I do, but, you know, let me crap on A-bomb for a second. He has done recently um, customer projects where... He's make, making or fixing a part for a piece of machinery, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Messes it up, then goes, well, you know, it's good enough for what I'm doing. It's good enough for what I'm doing. It's almost like a mantra. I'm like, <laughs> is it in spec with the stupid thing, the drawing the guy sent you? You don't worry about what it's for. You worry about what it is you're making, the widget. Yeah. Or the widget you're fixing. They gave you specs. Is it within spec? If it ain't, that's on you, buddy. Don't mm-hmm. say, well, it's good enough for what I'm doing. Yeah. And you could clearly see on this example that the plus or minus on the guy's drawing for the part he wanted was plus or minus five thousand. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking, well, you know, the plus or minus is plus five minus twelve. Hmm. Really? Yeah. That's not in the guy's spec. Yeah. And for a machine part, plus or minus 5,000 is not unreasonable. No, not, not at like, all. Like, I can achieve that. I mean, I'm not going to be fast, but we had to do plus or minus 3,000 on some hand-filed parts, and then we are graded based off of that when I did my apprenticeship. And that was, like, for flatness and squareness, plus or minus 3,000 with a hand file. And I... I think I got one. Like I, yeah, that's crazy. 
especially you know, with experience. To, I've done some fan blade blending, and that goes in the tenths. Oh wow! And you're doing it with a hand file, but the little the files tiny and very fine. Huh, that's cool. Oh yeah, you're almost sharpening something, but they call it blending. But. Huh, that's neat. Yeah, you get a little nick in the leading edge of fan blades on an airplane. Yeah. And you have, and you don't change the whole blade. You just blend the nick oh, into a... okay. So it's round and smooth. Ah, that makes yeah. sense. You're almost scalloping it. And it's, yeah. That's cool. Well, you know, round is better than sharp edges. Yeah. On anything that moves. Yeah. Uh, but... Except the cutting edge of your knife. <laughs> well, yeah. And, well, that's you know, good enough for me. You know, I tried sharpening it. But <laughs> some people, I want them to have as round a knife as possible. Yeah, it's true, yeah. Yeah, my youngest is so into knives right now. It's hilarious. Um, got him a little Mora companion because I'm like, that's a great little cheap knife, and it's stainless steel, and he can leave it out in the rain, and it's bright blue. It's like dirt cheap somewhere because of the color. But um, it's funny because can, can I go carve? Can I go carve? And... I always get a sense when he's going to cut himself. And so, it's a couple of weeks ago, he's like, Dad, can I go carve? I'm like, yeah. I was like, don't cut yourself. And he's like, okay. I'm like, he's going to cut himself. Anyways, he goes outside. <laughs> he comes in. He goes, Dad, do we have Band-Aids? And I'm like, yeah, did you cut yourself? He goes, yeah. And he had a big, huge wad of uh, toilet paper on his hand. <laughs> Just huge slice on his thumb. And uh, he didn't want me to know he's trying to tape it, cover it up with it. But it was, like, leaking really good. I'm like, Foster, I said, I said, don't cut yourself because you don't want to get hurt, but you're not in trouble. I said, you're going to cut yourself when you're learning how to use knives. And so he goes, okay. So he pulled it off and probably like a one-inch cut on his thumb. And I said, what were you trying to carve? And in his other hand, he had a little... Uh, a little square piece of wood like the size of a golf ball. I'm like, Foster, you're not good enough to carve something that small yet. And you need a big stick so you can push the knife away from you. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he's, but he, I did, I'd say like when it's not like raining outside, like it is not, he probably spends two to three hours a day. And that's not an exaggeration, just carving up stuff. And like every day I got to sharpen his knife because he dulls it out, but just carving sticks, chopping stuff. Oh man, he's been playing with knives so much. It's hilarious. And he hasn't cut himself for a couple weeks. So that's a bonus. And then some days he's like, can I go carve? And it's like, I'm really busy right now. If I have to take you for stitches, it's going to ruin my day. So no, <laughs> you know, I, I can't. Other days it's like, yeah, yeah, I could squeeze. If he cut himself, we had to take him to the hospital. I could, it wouldn't ruin the day. Then he can go ahead and carve. But. Yeah, a uh, buddy of mine uh, was a big hunter. Uh, he he done anything, you know. It didn't matter. And he used whatever he, he hunted. Mm -hmm. And his son got into knives, and um, R.C. was also a big carver. And he brought it up, and it reminded me of him. But he did chip carving as well. Mm -hmm. And he got his son a little chip carving knife. And his son was like six, seven, and he buried this thing in his palm, <laughs> the, the fleshy part of the thumb. Yeah, yeah. And he he pulled it out, got his mom's sewing kit, sewed it up. Wow. All of this with his parents within earshot. That's hilarious. Never made a peep. Right? They saw it later in the day. 
as it's festering. You know? <laughs> and they're like, ah, what happened? He's like, what? I, I didn't do nothing. Yeah. And uh, he's pasty, white, sweating, you know, it's springtime. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, what? what? Ah! And they uh, rush him to the emergency room. And he's, you know, he finally fesses up. You know, yeah, I, you know, knife slip, buried it in my palm. But I didn't want you mad at me, so I just sewed it up myself. All of this without making a peep. And his dad's all like, yeah. yeah. I got a little <laughs> yeah. man here. Mom's yeah, like, oh, right. I got a psychopath. And the emergency room people were going to call the cops. Oh, wow. They thought the parents did it. No, really? Um, at least the sewing up. And they're like, no, 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 he did it. He did it, really. And the kid's like, oh, yeah, I did it. And That's uh, crazy. Didn't believe him. Showed him how he did oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because um, he had, he knew enough. And we know, you know, they don't know how he knew enough. But he got his mom round the uh, uh, curved uh, quilting needle. Uh -huh. Those are way bigger than the curved needles uh -oh. that you use to make stitches. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever seen those suture kits you can get, like for yes, emergencies? I yeah. have two of them. Have you ever used them? No, I, oh. thankfully. Yeah, I should yeah. have gotten stitches last week. I shanked myself on a a glass tile I cut, and it was big, like it's a about an inch long, right on the end of my index finger, right between the the last joint and the tip of the finger. And I was moving. It was a stupid thing I did. I cut this piece of glass mosaic tile and I was just kind of sweeping the dust away and there's a jagged edge and it went right in like I don't know if it touched the bone or almost but I just and it's you can just feel it grabbing and it just pulled my hand to a stop and I went forward and it was like a quarter inch wide and just instantly just blood starts just flowing out of this thing I'm like oh crap and uh you know those deep deep ones don't hurt that bad um but then I just went and I'm like, okay, so I put some band-aids on and I had three band-aids on top of each other. And within like a minute, I bled through all of them and Steph's like, oh, you need to get stitches. I'm like, no, 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 I don't do stitches. I don't do stitches. So I just kept taping and taping and taping. And then the next day I took it off and it was completely like, I couldn't, I couldn't have pulled it apart if I wanted to. And I, I don't know, Steph always gets so jealous. Like, I can get a cut and it heals, like, instantly. Like, man, I don't know what it is about. Same thing, like, if, if I I can have the biggest calluses after work and the next day I wake up and my hands are just peachy soft. Like, it's weird, man. Uh, I don't know. I also have very, very oily, oily skin. But, yeah, man, I, I've never had stitches before. And I, I told Steph, I said, I'm not a piece of fabric. Nobody's sewing on me. Like, unless it's for a surgery. I can I can get it closed up myself. Put some glue in there, some super glue. We're good to go. But well, I hope not. But generally, that um, tapers off after age sets in. Because I used to heal really really fast. Now not so much. Hmm. But um, yeah, I think the the worst I had was my uh, wrist surgery where I had a pinched nerve. Mm. And then the day they took the sutures out, it opened up, reopened. Yeah. Because um, I told the nurse, don't op don't take them out yet. They, You could clearly see it wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. She's like, oh, no, no, this is fine. This is fine. <laughs> it just starts leaking. And she right? even took the, uh, oh, God, what are those things called? Uh, the butterfly band. Oh, yeah. Off, yeah. The little strips. Yeah. She even took those off. I'm like, 
Oh, wow. You're an idiot. And I, I think I actually even called her an idiot. But, um, went home. About an hour later, I went to reach for a glass of iced tea, and it just <laughs> split right open all the way to the bone. And uh, I just held it shut, rinsed it under water, uh, and told Danette, you got to drive me to the emergency room. She's like, why? I showed her. She's like, ah. <laughs> Don't tell me that. You asked. And uh, I uh, go to the emergency room. They're like, oh, what are you here for? I said, I had wrist surgery two weeks ago. They took the sutures out yesterday, and it just opened to the bone. She's like, no, it did. And I showed her. She's like, oh, yeah, that's open to the bone. Wow. <laughs> yeah, dumbass. I just told yeah. you. Open to <laughs> yeah. the bone. Yeah. Um, we look like... Um, lamb inside, uh, yeah, yeah, which is weird. But mm-hmm. I think we look more like beef, but no, we look like lamb. Yeah, it's white. And uh, uh, before when the nurse was getting all our stuff ready, I'm sitting there moving my fingers, watching them, whatever in your <sighs> wrist move. <laughs> That's gross. Because by then she had, <laughs> you know, given me some of the happy juice, and I'm just looking at my wrist, going la 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 la. Oh, yuck, man. She's like, you know, you might want to look away from me stitching this. No, go ahead. Hmm. <laughs> going aye, to aye. Uh, her little, whatever little instrument that goes with the needle that she was using that to tie the knot at the end mm-hmm. was a little bit out of her reach, so I'm just holding the needle for her. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I could do that. One time, like when oh, Steph dude, and I, whatever were, they gave me was just happy juice. Yeah, when Steph and I were like just recently newly married, probably like our first year to a marriage, and uh, she's barbecuing, and we had this like a spatch, like a barbecue flipper that had a serrated edge on it, which is a really stupid idea. But anyways, it was falling, and she went to grab for it, and she just shanked her her thumb like a real good cut, and so I took her to the hospital, and uh, she had to get like two or three stitches in it, and the like we're sitting there and she's on the bed and the doctor's doing stuff he's like you're right i'm like no i'm not okay and like i gotta sit down he goes no you gotta get out of here he goes get go outside go away and like i'm almost i literally i was going like this and then a nurse kind of grabbed me under the arm she goes i'm gonna help you out sir i'm like okay i was like i can't handle it and same thing like if i go to visit my grandparents from the hospital the elevator one time the elevator came down and i fell i just get so weak and woozy but the thing is like so I got my advanced first aid thing. And, and if I'm working on somebody and it's my problem, I'm 100% fine. Like, you know, I've had some guys come in with pretty big. One guy had 17 stitches in his palm and he had silicone in there. He's like siliconing a piece of aluminum. And I had to pull the silicone out while trying to manage the bleeding until the ambulance got there. Didn't bother me one bit. Afterwards, I felt like I was going to puke. But in the moment, and we've, we've had some like uh, falls, guys fall and they're unconscious uh, before I was even trained in first aid, a guy, like I knew basic stuff, a piece of conveyor landed on him. This was a job I was working on and it was a different crew. And this old guy, like I say, old, he's probably 65, 70, too old to be doing the type of work he was doing. Piece of conveyor fell on him and, uh, cut the back of his head. I get up to him and there's like literally a, a like puddle of blood starting. And I just jumped right in. They were trying to t- tell him to get up. And I said, no, like, like, don't move him. I said, put some blankets on him. Like, he may have a broken neck. He can't, he did have a broken neck. And they're like, get up, get up. I'm like, don't, don't move, man. Don't move. And so then I went and I just kind of put some stuff, some paper towel over his head to keep the blood in there. 
doesn't bother me if I'm right there. But if I'm in the hospital and some like, oh, if I'm in the hospital and somebody's like getting stitches, I will like, I will faint, man. I can't handle it. It's very strange. But in the moment, like my kids cut up, ah, no problem at all. But whoa. Yeah. In my extended, very extended family, I have a trauma uh, physician and he he can faint at the sight of blood unless he's the one working on somebody. That's right? weird. Or he's supervising the job, right? Mm. You know, turns my stomach. Mm. So, you know, same thing. You know, I don't mind working on somebody, but I don't want to just um, look at pictures or watch a movie of surgery, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's just, and I'm, depends on what it is. Like, I can watch probably human surgery more than I can watch an animal surgery. Oh, like really? A dog. Oh, that wouldn't bother me at all. Uh, you know, it's just weird. Hmm. And it depends on, you know, other factors too, but. The smell too. Like, when somebody's body's open, it smells weird. Like, the inside of a human has got a very unique smell. It depends on what's open, you know, just normal blood, just like, you know, a wet panty smell. Yeah. But This is such a gross you know, conversation. It's just, but you, you open the <laughs> abdominal cavity, yeah. and it can stink. Um, you can get some weird odors. I think we need to find a new topic. <laughs> this is getting uh, really nasty. It's like gutting a deer. You know? Yeah, that's true. I can weirdly, I kind of like that smell. In fact, I, <clears throat> if I had my druthers, I would rather gut deer than do anything with poultry. Because, like, plucking a chicken reeks. Yeah. I mean, it's disgusting smelling. You got to use the whiz-bang chicken plucker. Yeah, I know, but. That thing's You sit there and do it by hand. It, oh, yeah. Ugh. Oh, oh, yeah. It's gross. Um, you're, you've seen the whiz-bang chicken plucker, right? Yeah. I wanted to do a YouTube video on it, but I'm sure there are a couple out there. Oh, but it'll sure get. You'll get taken down. And you'll, <laughs> get, you'll get charged with animal abuse. I'm like, <laughs> it's a meat bird that I raised to eat. <laughs> yeah, but you threw it in there. It doesn't have a head anymore. I cut it off. Yeah, but you threw it around there. I'm like, ay, ay, ay. Yeah. It's the chicken's job. That's right. It has right. to work one day in its whole life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, so we're going to have to move all of our chickens. And then I don't have a chicken coop out at my parents' place, so we're going to have to... There's a lean-to on the barn that was kind of set up in a certain way so I can just do something for in the interim. But the nice thing is that barn has power, and our chicken coop was so far away from where our house ended up being, uh, it would cost a fortune to run power out there. So, you know, it's going to be nice to have power, and we can heat it in the wintertime a little bit. You know, be cool or put a heated water in there. Oh yeah, have lights. <clears throat> yeah. Morning. Yeah. Some. Taken. Oh man, we get a lot of eggs right now. We're trying to go. Like every day, Steph makes like a big egg casserole for breakfast, <laughs> and it's like I think we get like between you know twelve to sixteen eggs a day, right now, and that's a lot. You know, kind of a super high protein diet right now, and I'm. Almost getting sick of eggs. Asking everybody, no, you guys need eggs? Want some eggs? Can we bring you some eggs? But uh, I want to hang out know. in wherever your sons hang out, down in that basement, eating eggs all day. Ooh. Yeah, that's right. Teenage boys and eggs. Yeah. Do you know, we, I got it. We should make a whole 
boatload of pickled eggs. I love pickled eggs. That's what we're gonna. That's a great idea. Steph's like, what are we gonna do with all these eggs? Well, man, those will keep. You know, keep, then we have pickled eggs all winter long. Hmm, I'm excited now. I, I I've got nothing to say to that. You don't like pickled eggs. Um, I one I've never had it um, because I've smelled them. And I'm, no, that's not. I'm not putting that in my mouth. No. There's a difference though. Some are well, some are good, some are disgusting. I've had some. I'm like, oh, take this away from me. I've, I've taken a bite and can't finish it. But we like Steph and I, we got this recipe. Man, it, they're so delicious. Like really good. Oh, I love it. And they just keep them in the fridge there. And it's like you just, oh, I'm going to go to town. You know, got some errands to run. I'm a little hungry. Oh, let me grab an egg. And you just eat a pickled egg. And it's like the best thing ever. It's good. It's good, Todd. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm sure there's some good ones out there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, the big jars of them they used to keep on bars. <laughs> Probably not the best in the world. No. No. No, I imagine not. Uh, don't eat pickled, pickled pig's feet. Uh, <clears throat> don't eat chicken feet. None, yeah. No. no. Yeah. I agree with you on that. Don't eat the, uh, like, oh, God. One of my old bosses used to, you know, roast a pig every year. And have everybody over, and they'd be just over there stripping the face and the head <clears throat> and eating the brain. I'm like, y'all oh. are disgusting. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, you gotta have a pig cheek. No, no, I don't. Yeah, oh, I've heard it's good, like bacon, but no. Well, have you seen how just smear? It's like you take the pig cheeks, and if they're cooked, or is it beef cheeks that you can just grab the whole thing and just squeeze it and it just shreds instantly, like just super grainy and it's just like, like instantly you got like shredded meat. Is it and beef you wouldn't cheeks think or pig it would cheeks? be good meat because the less the animal uses it, the more tender the meat is. Mm-hmm. And they and a pig and a cow just chew all day. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you would think it would be really tough. Yeah, I think it's a beef cheeks that are like that. You roast them up, and then it doesn't matter how you cook them. You smoke them, whatever, and you can just grab it. It's like a, a softball-sized piece of meat, and you just bring your fingers together, and it just falls out just crazy, crazy like that. Yeah, I'm going to roast yeah. a chicken today. Yeah. I, uh, I like taking the – I don't like roasting a chicken. I don't want to say whole, but, you know, whole. Mm-hmm. I take the backbone out and then flatten the chicken. Spatchcock chicken. And then, uh, you know, because it, I think it cooks better. Mm. And all the meat stands a better chance. Mm. And the backbone adds a flavor to the meat around it that's not good. Mm. What, how do you cook it? You're like a gas grill? or It depends. You yeah. know, it, I've cooked it probably half a dozen different ways. Today, what I'm going to do is I have it on a big cooking cooking sheet that's rimmed mm-hmm. and it's laying flat breast side up skin up and good seasoning well we're trying this first this yard bird seasoning and uh i'm just gonna probably bake it low and slow all right on uh and then uh crisp up the skin at the end mm. yeah i want to make um Peruvian chicken, but I don't have Peruvian spice. Uh, we do. Oh, uh, I don't know. <clears throat> yeah. We do whole chicken um, like on our ceramic grill, like the big green egg knockoff that we have. 
Mm-hmm. The, and those things are phenomenal for the moisture content of the meat. Like it's unbelievable. It just keeps that. We used to always put like a beer can or, you know, whatever soda what in the middle, yeah. like a beer can chicken. We don't even do that anymore because it's a waste of whatever you're putting there because you don't need it. But um, we got this air fryer and it's the one that has the rotisserie so you can like, you know, there's like old basket you can put the fries in and it rotates. And one thing, some people, no, I guess it was just one blog. Stuff was looking, they said, whatever you do, don't ever cook a whole chicken in an air fryer. But we do this, we get this, put the whole bird on a rotisserie, and it is so delicious. It, you know, Steph seasons it up, and then it takes, I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes, and just spins and spins and spins, and it comes out so good, really crispy skin. Oh, man. It's good stuff. And and chicken, you can still get chi- whole chickens reasonably priced, you know? Yeah, this one was almost 10 bucks. I'm like, dang, yo. <laughs> yeah, it's like everything. I was asking Steph about tomahawk steaks because I'm like, I've never had one of those before. And she saw them at Costco and took a picture. Uh, 50 bucks a kilogram. And so this one tomahawk steak sealed up was $100. <laughs> I'm like, and I got to cook it myself. Woo. Freak out. It's expensive. I don't, know about, I don't know it in kilograms, but the tomahawks I used to get are two and a half pounds each. Mm-hmm. And they were two of them, 130 Bucks. Wow. Why is that why is that cut so expensive? Uh, I have gotten them cheaper, but not these. Um these are from E3 Meat Company. Um to Christian Meat Company. I, I don't know what that is a Christian family. They own their own meat company. Hmm. And very responsibly grown grain fed or grass fed beef, blah blah hmm. blah. Yeah. And, uh, it's probably some of the best meat I've had ever hmm. it's for what it is. Yeah. You know, cause I don't, I can't go to Japan and get Kobe. I can't go to uh, Argentina and get whatever. Or Alberta beef. Um, hmm. Alberta beef. Todd, don't forget about Alberta beef. Well, I don't World know. World famous. use those big um, kill feed lots. So I don't know. No, we don't. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> That's California, dude. Don't confuse us with California. Well, you know, everybody's like, oh, feedlot, feedlot. You know where wherever cows congregate and eat is called a feedlot. <laughs> That's right. If you have a herd, <laughs> if you have a herd, you're going to have a feedlot. <laughs> yeah. That's not what you think it is. Yeah. Um, no, and, and anywhere that processes and cow into meat there's going to have a long line of you know uh a long waiting line as it were where you you know run them through the gates and then comes out the other side and refrigerated trucks that's (laughs) just the way it is people yep you know unless you go to a small boutique meat company and then you pay a premium can't. Same thing happens though. <laughs> Meat. It's something you can't have it both ways. Yeah. You can responsibly grow it where the animal's not in pain or suffering all day. Mm-hmm. Sees the light of day. Um actually touches the ground. And but it's still gonna die. Yeah. It's still gonna be wrapped in cellophane. Yeah. Um because I was uh, didn't know what to think about this whole thing with the Tyson lawsuit. 
and the pig problem, the way pigs are held, grown, mm. raised, and then slaughtered. Yeah. Until I actually saw one, and not on TV where they dramatize it. Even news dramatizes it. I saw one in a Tyson plant uh, in North Carolina, and I'm like, yeah, no, I don't agree with that. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I understand this is a business, but I don't agree with that. Sorry. Yeah. Um, because you put a, a little older than a piglet, but it's still a little one, in a cage. And when it, the fat of the pig starts oozing through the cage, all right, it's ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, uh-uh. and they were three or four tall. So you're if you're the unlucky pig that gets the bottom floor, you're getting shit on by three pigs. Yeah, all day, every day. Yeah, and then they missed you with water to try to wash it off. So now you're just in poop mud. Yeah. No, I don't agree with that. Yeah. Um, so I also don't agree with what California did with the, you have to have so many square feet. Yeah. Cause it all depends on the land. Yeah. Um, and now they want you to have these, uh, hog barns that were retractable roofs. Oh, wow. No. Yeah. Sorry. I think that the pork industry should just stop selling in California. Yeah. Over, just completely and see what happens then. Yeah. So we had pigs and I tell you, we had two pigs. We took them in to get them butchered because they're they pretty big. They're probably like 300 pounds by the time we got them processed. But uh, we've got a local butcher. So I just took them in the trailer and I said, I want these quartered. So they killed them and then they got them. They take the hair off. And then we got them quartered, and then we broke it down from there. Because I wanted to learn about all the different cuts and stuff. But that meat, that ham, was completely different than almost anything I've ever had in a store. Like, it was more like beef. Like, it was actual meat. Like, it had grain. It had texture. And unbelievable. And so, you know, you see those pictures of those pigs and the way they're raised. I'm like, that is incredible. Like, our pigs were outside. You know, they're in, a, they're in a pen. They're fully outside the whole time. The one kept, I'd, I think it could fly because we had like four foot fences and it would get out all the time. And I'd have to go chase it with my quad and I'd lasso it. And it was, uh, it was unbelievable. But man, it was, it even, you take that ham and you put it next to even a, like the most expensive store-bought ham you could get. There's, they don't even look the same. It's unbelievable. And the bacon that we made from that was just, oh, so good. So good. Yeah, I think, you know, you can't do it. Well, they, they do in California, but, you know, most places around North America, they don't do that with beef so much, right? Like generally beef is outside. And even if you have a big ranch or whatever, I mean, yeah, they finish them in a feedlot. But poultry, you can just do that, right? Like uh, actually one of my dad's good friends, um, he's a chicken farmer. And I used to do chicken catching for him. And you go into these barns and there's 40,000 chickens in there. And like everything's automated, they're fed with computers, uh, they're weighed, like they've got random scales throughout and they'll tell how many birds are on there, what the average weight is. It's just, it's incredible. It's just this computer run farming operation. And these are, he calls them roasting chickens. So he lets them get a little bigger than the average chicken that you'd buy in the store. But 
it's kind of like, and his are all organic, like his feeds organic. And I just use air quotes because who knows what any of that means anymore. But yeah, man, it's incredible. We used to make a lot of money, chicken cat. You, you'd make like 300 bucks an hour because you got paid by the bird. You got like a penny a bird or something. <laughs> and you just run in there and you get three of these chickens with your hands, grab their feet, flip them upside down, run outside. And then they got this big ramp and the semi trucks there. And it's got those crates, kind of like drawers. They slide out, throw six birds in, go down, get six more. And you do that for like three hours, just dripping sweat. It's disgusting, man. Then uh, go to KFC and have a little dirty bird. Get your revenge, <laughs> you stupid chickens. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Mm. So yeah, my parents have moved out of their place. Uh, they're in the basement suite, like where my, my grandma used to live. And then the whole front of the shop is cleared. They're They're taking the back half of the shop until their house is done. So, and now we found out it might not be done until like September. So that's that's fun. <laughs> Maybe living with my parents for a summer, but they're going on. Uh, I don't know. They're going on. Uh, they're going to Europe like at the end of this month, and then they're just going to book a bunch of crew. My mom doesn't want to. My mom and I argue a lot <laughs> about politics, <laughs> so she's like, "Well, we'll make we'll just go book a whole bunch of cruises. We'll make sure we're gone, and then they're going to fly across Canada and my dad's plane and stuff." But I'm like, "Ah, kids would love it if you guys were there the whole time." Stay in Arizona for the summer. Yeah, right. No, I don't Your parents think just stay in Canada and there you go. Stay at their place in Arizona. Yeah, yeah. But man, I'm not looking forward to moving. Oh, and I'm getting to the point. What I'm going to start doing now is packing up my garage, and um, like I've got a couple signing blocks to make, and then I think that's it. Like that's the extent of the work I'm going to do in here, and I'm going to like literally take my grinders, move them, take my dust collector, move them. Uh, I think by this weekend, a lot of my garage might be in the shop and then shipping container. got to get that emptied out because my next door neighbor's buying it. And this is weird, man. It's weird thinking that uh, I'll probably never make another knife out of this place. You know, where, where I started like first selling knives was on this land. No, I, I I traded some before with guys at work, but the first actual knife sale I did was on Facebook, and I did it when we lived in the trailer. It's just weird. That's like, oh. But I'm thinking, if I get a couple more grinders, I might, and then, you know, look into getting some pretty good insurance, uh, I might start, like, looking into doing knife-making classes, like, pretty seriously. There's a guy near me. Oh, don't make a fat guy from Tennessee come up there. <laughs> um. There's a guy near me and he, I don't know if, I don't know if he does really amazing knives. I've never really seen his knives, but he can make a knife and he probably has three to four classes a week. And some of his classes are like two to like six, seven people. And he's just, you know, he's got a room for, he's got a nice shop. I think he has like three or four grinders, but I'm like, man. And people want experiences, you know, like he'll do them and he always kind of says, oh, thanks. He always puts a picture of his group. And, um, you know, there'll be like a whole bunch of groomsmen come out and it's like they're part of that party or whatever and, or what, whatever, you know, it's kind of cool. I'm like, that, that might be kind of fun. Yeah. We're, I'm going to, we're going to be getting our, uh, passports here. Oh yeah. This year soon. We've got to, if we're going to go to Germany. Yep. If we are, I don't know. Um, I have to do some thinking on that. Uh, 
it's hard. It's tough enough for me to fly anyway, mentally, mm-hmm. with my mm-hmm. implant. Oh, okay. Because yeah. you got to deal with, you know, a hole TSA people. Oh yeah. Um, but I I can't fly coach. I just can't do it. Mm. Um, I've been I've been in the back with the little people for a long time. <laughs> And then once I flew first class, I'm like, oh, I can't ever go back. Mm, yeah. It's like you can eat all the sirloin you want, but once you've had a ribeye, you're like, yeah. Mm. Sirloin, I divorce you forever. Mm. But anyway, uh, so I got to do some thinking on that. But, hey, if I get my when I get my passport, and if you start doing knife classes. Yeah. May well, have to go up there and see where all my knives were born. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, too, is that uh, if my parents get out of here, we have, we're going to leave the suite downstairs as a suite. Like, so it's got its own uh, bedroom, its own bathroom, its own kitchen, living room. You know, like, that's literally where my grandma lived. And uh, so I, I don't know. We don't know what to do with it. We don't need the room. Like, we got enough bedrooms, going to have enough office space. Or, like, let's just leave it as a suite in case, you know, friends come over or whatever, you know. So you and yeah, Danette can just YouTube stay there. Sweet, you start doing collaborations, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. You could have a certain somebody come in there and make some uh, Damascus for you. Yeah, it's too small to make a knife with. Oh no, wait, never mind. <laughs> no. Yeah, maybe I'll get back onto that project. I should actually I should. And <laughs> so stoked, man! So I can actually put my forge in the shop, right? Like it's all tin. And it's all drywall behind that. Like, there's nothing going to catch on fire, right? Like, I never ever brought a forge into my garage because it's attached to my house. And yeah, that's that bad. Yeah, and it's small, right? I mean, this is like, I don't know how high the ceilings are. 20-foot ceiling, 16-foot ceiling. The whole ceiling is tin. I mean, it's a pretty safe place that you can weld and have sparks. And literally, I'm going to have, like, an indoor forging area. And then if I need, why well, shoot. I guess the one crappy thing is it's all in-floor heating. Because I was thinking, oh, except for the back. The back isn't. Because I was like, man, if I ever had to, I could just cut a hole in the concrete, pour a big, huge concrete block, and put a power hammer in. But that that would have to be in the back, which I could do. But, do it. yeah. Yeah. The car hoist in there. Like, there's a, my dad's got a big old two-post lift that'll lift my truck. I'm just like, oh, man. Uh-oh. I'm just imagining all the videos going to come out. Uh, Jeremy Gertz and... Simple little life now. Yeah. I'm excited. There'll be less. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Hey. (laughs) Probably. I'm I'm, going to try. I don't know. It's so weird. You got to figure out how much much space you want to devote and how you're going to organize for your your Etsy empire. Yeah. I think I've got that figured out. Um, I'm going to do it at the very back. And then it's going to be like, I'm going to have a dedicated wood space. So like a table saw that's set up all the time with an in-feed and out-feed. So if I need to rip a piece of plywood, I can do it all by myself and safely. And then, you know, I'm going to put a whole big long workbench with my my miter saw built into it with dust collection. So that if I, you know, and then I'm going to set up the stops that flip up and down. Oh, it's just going to be fantastic. My planer will be out. Like right now when I want to plane wood, got to move the vehicle set it up. I have to go at a diagonal because I like to do 12, 12 foot boards. So I have to do diagonal across my garage right now. And I'm like, man, I can just have like the dreamiest dream set up. 
if I need like three dust collectors, I'll buy three dust collectors because I've got room for them. You know, I'm just like, oh man, this is this going to be something else. It'd be a lot of work. But I was thinking, that's a lot of interesting video content, right? Like setting up a, a shop from scratch. I'm excited about it. Oh yeah. Um, yes. I. Uh, the market depends on when it'll start, but that's what I'm going to do with mine. I've decided. Yeah. Even if it's no good, I'm going to at least document it. Yeah. Um, put it up. Just put it up. So I. Oh no, that's what I mean. Yeah. Even if it's no good, I'll document it and put it up. That's what I'm trying to start doing now too. Because I think putting a making a shop from scratch or renovating a shop. You know, just making it yours. It's one of those things like um, cold start videos. They just do so well. Mm. I don't know. And it's interesting. I don't get cold start videos. I don't know. What is a cold start video? Oh, um, this tractor has been sitting in the field for 800 years. Will it start? Yeah, 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 gotcha. Or, like, you're going to do a, I don't know. Like I, I'm watching Dirt Perfect, and he does a trucking video where he's moving his equipment from one job to the next. Walks up to the Mac, you know, puts a camera on it, and then first start of the day, they call a cold start. <laughs> the people just love it, and I'm like, why? It started, hooray. You know, if That's I was going to say, oh, I like something having to do with big diesel engines, it's a Jake brake, you know, a compression brake. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a, a truck going about you know, forty five fifty and then let off the gas and let that compression brake kick in. Blah, 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 blah. Oh. Love it. Yeah. Or a big uh turbo fan jet engine running up. Hmm. Love it. Yeah. Um you know, my wife calling me in for dinner. Love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just certain sounds you just love. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Somebody, the, the sound of money leaving someone's hand into mine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I hear you. It's Actually, great. the smell of um, uh, money, I think I love. Yeah. I I love money. I, I enjoy it. I listened to that uh, Business Secrets from the Bible again by Rabbi Daniel Lappin. That I'm actually going to listen to it for a third time now. I listened to it last week through, like in two days, and I'm actually going to listen to it again now because I love the way he says that, you know, money represents proof that you have served another person. And you think about it like that. It's like, you know what, these tokens that you get, whatever way it's represented, they're dollars in our currency, but that means that you've provided value to somebody. You've served somebody, and that person appreciated it and gave this back to you. And even if you work for your boss, you know, he says, even if you have an employer, you're in business with one customer. Your boss is your customer. And it's interesting, like, um, you know, he says, if, if you're an adult and you leave, you want, when you die, you want all your kids to get along well, right? You don't want them fighting and bickering. And what an interesting way for God's children to get along with each other than to do business. You know, you have a need, I can fulfill that need, and then you'll pay me for it. Oh, great, cool. And then I have a need, and and I'll pay someone else to do it, and it's a way that we can stay connected to each other and serve each other. And it's very, very fascinating. It's very uh, 
countercultural. Like I think by and large cultures switching to like, oh, people with money are bad and blah, 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 blah. It's like somebody has a lot of money unless they won the lottery, which he thinks is wrong. And I, I agree with too, you know, nobody's been served. There's been no good done, but you know, if somebody has a lot of money, it's proof that they have served a lot of a lot of God's children, you know, and it's very interesting. I absolutely, that's one of the best books on money I've, I've ever read. Well, I listened to it, but I'm doing it I again. Have, uh, I'm glad you brought something like this. Uh, as I had, something has been eating at me for some time now. Mm-hmm. This, it, it predates this woke movement, mm-hmm. but it's still millennial, I think, in origin. You work for a company. You're an employee. And you could be the, the bargain basement employee. Lowest person on the totem pole. Doesn't matter. But you got this attitude that, well, the boss better listen to me because I'm part of this company. <laughs> yeah. I need a stake in it if he wants me to work here. What? Yeah. You know what your stake in the company is? What your motivation is? Your pay envelope. Yeah. Your paycheck. <clears throat> your direct deposit. However you get paid. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's your stake in the company. You agreed to whatever the conditions are by accepting the job. Mm-hmm. If you don't like the conditions, blame yourself because you accepted it. Now, yeah. I don't. I don't want anyone to have to work in uh, uh, conditions that violate your civil rights, that cause you permanent harm. You know, you shouldn't be mistreated. I'll put, you know. Mm-hmm. And by and large, a, those are gone nowadays. In a legal, well, there are still people out there that try to do that. And they get caught for the most part. Mm-hmm. You know, I know, uh, I heard somebody complaining uh, a couple years ago that, you know, my boss, and th- this person was a mechanic. And they work not for a dealership, but they worked at a little garage. Yeah, but it's more than just a mom and pop garage. They get branded by a certain auto parts store, mm. but they're not sponsored by them. But that, for the benefit of having the sign up, they get parts mm. first, I suppose. You know, they're higher up on the <clears throat> chain. I don't know really how it works, but anyway, you get branded Napa, but you're not associated with Napa for business. In fact, mm. you pay to have that sign up. Mm. Anyway, this guy wasn't a, a dealer mechanic, but he was still at that level. And in fact, the local General Motors dealer would uh, send cars that they couldn't get to they had too many to work on Mm -hmm. to him yeah right and he would use gm tools and he would do it their way yeah using their stuff Mm -hmm. and he was like man my boss you know he pays me eight hours a day and he makes me work 16 (laughs) no he doesn't you make you work 16 yeah how many you you did it one time didn't you and it was an emergency job. And you thought, well, if I show him I do this, I'll get something in the in the future. Yeah. Yeah. And then now he, he's like, you did it again in an emergency situation. And then the third or fourth time, 
it was just because he asked you. It wasn't an emergency. Yeah, yeah. And he got that extra labor from you for free. You showed him you were willing to do that, and he didn't have to give you anything extra. Mm -hmm. You taught him that lesson. Yeah. You opened yourself up to that. Now, had you refused that first time, would you have gotten fired? We'll never know. Maybe, maybe not. But now if you refuse, he's going to think you're the a-hole and fire you. And yeah. I suggest you do that because you're being misused. Yeah. Or at least have a conversation with him. Yeah. Well, but you know, it's interesting, like you're talking about the people that say, oh, I need my steak. I need this. I need yeah. that. You know, those people, if they would just be like, you know what? I'm going to work my butt off and I'm going to show my value to the boss. Those are the people that get ahead. And the people that always are like, I need this, I need mine, the entitlement, those are the ones that will never get anywhere in life, ever. And they, you know, not, they, some of these people take it a little too, a little farther than that by, well, I'm going to do the job my way because I know it better. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know it better than the owner of the company? And I'm not talking about Amazon. I'm talking about small business, yeah, local yeah. business. You work for them. And you know it better than the owner, the guy who built it, or the lady who built it. No, yeah. they told you how to do the job. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have an idea, not everybody knows everything. Exactly, yeah. And if you know something that can make it more streamlined, more better, if you know a better process, you know, bring it to the boss. Don't yeah. just implement it yourself, because there might be things you don't know. Yeah, exactly. You might know things the boss don't know, but the boss certainly knows things you don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe they know they figured out how to do it the way you're thinking, but insurance <laughs> is a problem yeah. or local policy or local uh, zoning, you know, whatever. Because mm -hmm. I actually worked at a place where there was a better way of doing it, but the law wouldn't allow it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, well, this is stupid. And it was stupid and it eventually got changed. But, you know. Yeah. You know, when I, we used to do airport conveyors, we'd always hire like low, like temporary guys or from the union or whatever, depending on what the job called for in that area. Um, but I'd bring guys in and this is simple stuff, like, like bolting a whole bunch of sections of conveyor together with three eighths bolts and leveling it out. So I'd kind of show them, I, I could give them a task that takes like three or four hours. Okay. Just get these finger tighten them. Don't, don't get a super tight cause we got to level it all out and then we'll start tightening it. But every time I told him something, I said, listen, I said, I got, when I'd bring them in, I'd say, I want you guys to know that, you know, I've been doing this conveyors for a long time. That means two things. It means I do know what I'm doing, but it also means that I have habits and I'm like a horse with blinders on. And this is the way I've always done it. So I don't see it for the first time like you guys are going to. So I said, if you guys look at what we're doing, be like, hey, wait a minute, why don't we do it like this? I, want, I would love to hear about it. Like, I'm not saying that I'm going to say yes, but it's very likely that you could do it way better than me because I was shown how to do it. Like, you do this like this instead of coming into it and say, so this is the way we're going to do it. But if you have a better idea, I'd love to hear it because I literally, I've done this so much that I can't even think about it creatively anymore. Like, I just see the problem and the solution has always been this. So that's what I default to, you know, and it's, it's, it's amazing. You can have somebody who's really good at what they do, and then somebody who's never done it before and walk and say, well, why don't we just do this and this? And be like, oh, that is better, you know? But because we're in our habits, you know, it's like that story of cutting the two ends off of a, a ham. You know, why do you cut the ends off the ham? Because my mom always did it. 
Well, let's ask grandma. Why do you do it? Well, because my mom was. Let's ask great grandma. Well, the reason I did it is because my pan was too small for the roast, for the ham. So I had to cut it so it would fit, you know? One of those types of deals, but fun, fun working with people. What is that thing? I can't think of it off the top of my head. It generally dealt with organized crime and the unions where in order to get this job. Mafia. Yeah, but in order to get this contract on this job site, you had to offer so many paid job slots for fake employees that don't come to work. Oh, wow. What, what is that called? What, I was going to ask if y'all ever had to deal with that. Federal um, government? Do what? It's called federal government? No. Oh. Um, oh, God, I can't remember. I can't think of what it's called. I don't even, I've never even really but heard of that. But basically what you're doing is um, you, the contractor, agree to, um, you get the job and you you get, you come up with two extra um, hourly job slots mm. for employees and you give it to somebody who shows up in an envelope and they go away. Hmm. Interesting. I, I'm trying to Google it. It won't come up, but you know now the FBI knows all about me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was listening to somebody else bash the federal government the other day, and it's so funny. Um, having been in it for so long, I know the corruption in the federal government and the laziness, and it's not nearly parallel to what people think. Mm. Worse. It's, it's it's way worse in some ways and way better in others. Mm. But you know, people are like, oh, they do this, and it's a big joke. And you're like, well, actually, they don't do that. Um, mm. but anyway, uh, it's also not important. You know, we know that every government is corrupt, mm. from your local town or township <clears throat> all the way up to whoever runs your country. There's corruption there. Not everybody's corrupt. Yeah. Otherwise, it would have collapsed. But uh, you know, it's funny. enough of it is corrupt, and the corruption wane, ebbs and flows. Yeah, depending on who's in power. Uh, like right now, holy moly, uh, it's horrible. But you know, so we had uh, like right now our premier. Well, he has announced that he's stepping down because. The party did a vote of non-confidence and they want to do an election because of the way that he's handled COVID and all this. The guy, just the lying, the biggest lying bastard you've ever heard. He'll he'll literally say, Alberta's open for good. And I was there. I was physically in front of him. He was out in the rodeo and I was in the seats and he says, we're not going to have any more restrictions, no more mandates. Alberta's open. It's open for good. From here on out, we're just going to move forward. And then like a couple weeks later, oh, now the toughest and restrictions we've ever had so it's like you know what just don't say that part that you're open for good right just don't say that instead he's just oh i want to get this crowd to love me and then he's like oh i'm gonna do this anyways they did a vote and he won with 51 percent if he had won with 60 percent he could have fired anybody he wanted to right he could like get rid of people but because he i just weird the way it works but so he uh did the election and they counted it up and 
like hours later, minutes later, he went and announced in a press conference that he's stepping down as a premier of Alberta and as the leader for the Conservative Party provincially. And he, in his speech, he says, you know what, I realize that um, there's too much diversion, uh, divisiveness between us, and I don't want to be a, a hold, a stumbling block or a holdback for the party. And he says, so I think we just need to forget about everything in the past and move forward. And all he's doing is that he, he, like the, he's getting ready to go to trial for some of the stuff that he's done, and we've got our head henshaw whatever stupid health advisor for Alberta she's on trial and she's getting she's getting big trouble like they're in court all he's saying is like okay well you know what I I didn't have my way you guys didn't vote for me so now I've got to you know play the political game I don't have the full power I want but let's just forget about everything in the past and move forward I'm, I'm just trying to sneak out the back door and get away with it <laughs> and I'm like you little porky puff not a chance you know what we can forgive you, I forgive you, but we will not forget, okay? God's the only one that can do that. You are accountable for what you've done, and oh man, he's just such a little shyster. I'm just 100% done with all governments. Like, I'm not, nope, 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 nope. You throw Justin Trudeau in jail where he belongs, you throw Kenny in jail, you get Fauci, he should be in jail. Like, come on, these guys are just, why on earth do people feel that they, because it's something called a government, that word seems so powerful to people that we just play their game. I'm not playing their game. I'm like, nope, over, done. I am a free man on earth. I report only to God. I mean, I agree to, to report to my wife and stuff, but I answer at the end of my days only to God. And so everything Below that, I'm going to make up my own decision whether this is good or not. And I'm like, screw you, government. And I know you, I say that and it's like, well, you have to do this. You have to. Uh, there's certain things I, I get it, right? But the government says, oh, you have to get vaccinated. I'm like, oh, shut your face. Just literally just go suck a rotten egg, you piece of human garbage. <sighs> Sorry, I, I just really took oh, no. this. These, <laughs> really. Um, people like. Uh, your premiere and your uh, boy wonder, little. yeah, boy wonder, our president, our vice president, um, <laughs> a lot of folks in my local government and state government, a lot of politicians. They need to follow the example set down in 1987 by R. Bud Dwyer. That's just all they need to do. Hmm. Um. Robert Bud Dwyer was an American politician in the state of Pennsylvania. In the early 80s, Pennsylvania had a, some financial issues. Uh, and eventually, in 1986, Dwyer was convicted of accepting a bribe. He was found guilty on 11 counts of conspiracy, mail fraud, perjury, and interstate transportation in the aid of racketeering. Uh, he was set for sentencing, but on uh, he was set for sentencing January twenty third, nineteen eighty seven. On January twenty second, he called a press conference at which, in front of reporters, he pulled a three fifty seven Magnum and shot really? himself in the head fatally. Seriously? Seriously? Wow! I knew that. And I later knew that day, that way. <laughs> the news went ahead and broadcast it. <laughs> I loved it. Wow. I, have, I have fondly remembered R. Bud Dwyer for, well, he maintained his innocence verbally 
he obviously knew what he had done. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, this is how I take responsibility, people. And wow. I think more corrupt politicians that follow suit. <laughs> I really do. He made us, uh, he, he, he's an outstanding <laughs> example for you people. That's funny. <laughs> well, we... I mean, and I've done a lot. And in 2010, they reopened this. And because uh, and he was overwhelmingly guilty of even more stuff, right? Because, hmm. yeah. you know, people are like, well, he, he, you know, he did what he did because you were falsely prosecuting, blah, blah, blah. And he said he was innocent. Okay, well, reinvestigate it from scratch with somebody who doesn't <laughs> care. Oh, and, oh, yeah, he's guilty of way more. That's funny. But, uh, yeah, just call a press conference. Hey, guys, how you doing? You know, I'm innocent. You know, I know they're going <laughs> to try to send us me <laughs> That's nuts. There we go. That's where we're going to end the show. All politicians be like. <laughs> all that. corrupt politicians. All. Just go ahead and call a press conference, will yeah, you? Yeah, 100%. Um, I can actually serve about 250 of you, if you would like. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, I got to get cruising, Todd. But uh, good, good chatting with you. It's a good podcast. I just have to say this. I'll end the... I'll end my part with this. What I've learned today has added an additional layer to my humor where it, you know, pertains to uh, something you and I joke about privately and on the show. Yep. So now I need to go find a photo of a bloody <laughs> midget to send to you. <laughs> Please don't. P please don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to Google bloody midget because no. black helicopters will start showing up. No kidding, eh? No kidding. There'll be small ones, but anyway. <laughs> right on. Well, thanks all for listening. And thanks, Todd. It's good chatting with you again. And uh, <laughs> I love yeah. the show today. <laughs> right on. I'll see you all next week. Bye bye.